Welcome to Business Unmuted. Thanks to our sponsor, Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers, representing some of the world's best manufacturers of vans, cars, motorcycles. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graeme Robb, and I've owned Recognition PR for around 35 years this year. We have 75 clients in multiple sectors across the UK, and between them, they have a turnover of about £6 billion and employ 30,000 people. So we're in the front line of the business community and perfectly placed to discuss the economic climate and joining me to do just that in the studio we've got Nikki Jolly managing director of HR today in Darlington and we have Darren Winter company director at Duco Digital an award-winning professional digital marketing agency based in the Tees Valley Redcar down the line we have broadcaster and commentator Emily Carver who can often be heard on GB News she's also formerly of the Institute of Economic Affairs well Emily let's start with you um, I'm gonna give you a great big picture to paint on, a big canvas to paint on. What do you think, after a few weeks of the new year now and a few bits of data emerging, what do you think the picture of the economy is? Well, it's hard It's hard to be too optimistic. I mean, if you want to look on the bright side, it does seem that inflation at least has peaked and it's now on its way down. Um, so that's something to be happy about and that's something that businesses should be ever so slightly optimistic about. However, we've also seen that the government is borrowing at a record amount once again. That's due to the energy support schemes and also interest on government debt. So hopefully that will also be on its way down very soon if global energy prices go down and if those interest payments can be spread over many years, which I believe they can be. I'm disappointed. I've seen that um, in terms of our tax competitiveness in this country, we are falling well down the league tables from this year. I believe we're now going to be 30th out of 38 OECD countries down from number five, which is pretty terrible. I think the government has made a mistake in wanting to raise corporation tax and and many other taxes as well. But that's a big one when it comes to business, of course. And I think that will have a very damaging effect on the economy going forward. I'm also concerned about uh, reports recently that many people with quite a bit of cash or with high salaries are leaving the country. A lot of young people also seem to have given up on living here, which is which is pretty bleak. I hope that people will stay here. I think there's lots to uh, um, be proud of in this country and there's a lot going on, but it does seem like the mood may be going in that direction, not least because of housing costs and the cost of living in general in this country always on the rise, it seems. Um, so a mixed picture, I'd say. Okay, well, I think that's a balanced view. I'm going to conjure up the inner optimism in me, conjure it up and just say, look, also, we've got virtual full employment. And also, although the government's borrowing obscene amounts of money, like they make your, your teeth itch, the amount that they're borrowing, it's less money than it was predicted to be. Yes. Which is a, a shock to the system. And also, um, everyone was saying we'd be in recession now, and it's quite possible we won't be because the sales over Christmas were a bit better than everybody thought. And also, <laughs> I keep bumping into people in business who are saying, well, my business isn't doing too badly and I'm planning to grow. 
And it seems to me that if only the politicians and the commentariat would just get this, that no matter what the picture of the economy from the data from last year or the Office of National <coughs> Statistics or the Purchasing Managers Index, whatever is published in the data, the future is depending on us, isn't it? It's actually depending on our hard work and enterprise. You know, it's, it's, uh, there was a, a quote from, published from Margaret Thatcher in one of the newspapers uh, over the weekend uh, that said that everyone um, looking uh, on the horizon for the economic upturn, if you're in business, you may be the upturn. Well, this is what I wrote in an article the other day for The Independent, actually, is that Rishi Sunak and the Cabinet know full well that economic growth will not come from their decisions mm. necessarily, but it will come from, as you say, the hard work and graft of people. So they need to make it as easy as possible for people to start a business, run a business, employ people and turn a good profit. Yeah, I know. I've stretched every sinew there to be positive. I think you give me a, round, a, 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 a bit of credit for that. But on the negative, there are some things that the government needs to perhaps address itself to. Some are practical. I've bumped into a number of firms that have COVID loans recently, and there's a bit of worry about this because the COVID guarantee, the government guarantees the COVID loans. They say, well, you took the COVID loan, if all goes wrong, we'll guarantee. The government guarantees run out in December this year for some of these COVID loans, and they need to be refinanced. So I know a business that took out more than 20 million of COVID loans has paid off half of them, or will have by the end of the year. Uh, and we'll need to refinance the other half by adding it onto their existing borrowing. But the bank is saying, well, hang on, the economy's not growing quite so much, interest rates are higher, and it's not as affordable. A bit like trying to refinance your student loan with your mortgage, the, the building society is saying no, which it probably would. But perhaps the government needs to just have another look-see at the COVID loans. What, what do you think, uh, Emily, and what do you think on that, Nikki? Emily first. <laughs> Um, well, I think it's extremely it's extremely difficult for businesses with all the costs that are going up at the moment. If COVID loans, the government probably, if what you say is true and people are really struggling and it doesn't seem particularly fair in the way that it's uh, going forward, then perhaps that is something that the government should have another look at. We know that the government lost a huge amount of money through fraud of one kind mm. and another. If they can make it easier for businesses who are showing that they want to repay the money and they are um, repaying the money, but they need to have it in a slightly uh, less onerous way, then perhaps that's a good thing. I, I hear some commentators, commentators saying some of the cost of living crisis should be paid to workers from profits, but profits being eroded by, I've just said COVID loans, uh, interest rates, they're being eroded by high energy costs, they're being eroded in some cases by minimum wage. A lot of businesses I've noticed in the North, as part of the consequence of us levelling up the North, mm. the business rate review has resulted in higher business rates. Uh, and those are things that are slightly outside of business control, never mind the actual economy. Uh, and those are the things that uh, Jeremy Punt should be taking into account when he's looking at his taxation policy uh, and his spending policy. Uh, I haven't let you have a say on this, Nikki. Let's bring you in. I mean, I, I do think businesses need more support. We've had a lot of support, and now it's kind of grabbing and taking it all back. But they need to think of the bigger picture. We are the ones that are turning this around. We're the ones that are going to support the economy moving forward. And just to say you owe this money back and no, you can't borrow, well, where does that leave the company? Mm. It's not appropriate. They need to look at measures for the genuine cases. 
uh, you know, we had a brief discussion before this, that if people are genuinely showing demonstration of paying this back, then they are intending to pay it back. They need a little bit more time. Yes. So, so the, the moral hazard has to, you can't just dole it out or no. continue it. You've got to, you've got to say, well, all right, if you want a, a loan extension or if you want some kind of government support, you've got to demonstrate some goodwill. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Well, let's, let's just uh, extend the conversation to what you're seeing in the workplace generally, because you handle the, the, the HR, not PR, I'm PR, <laughs> your human resources. Are you getting a lot of calls from people to say, look, redundancies are on the horizon, we need to alter contracts? Is it, or is it there's still a recruitment problem? To be fair, I anticipated redundancies. We offered um, training seminars before Christmas. Mm-hmm. One person turned up. Mm-hmm. Um, we offered it again this year and um, we've rescheduled it. Mm-hmm. So my prediction was that at some point, ACAST did a big uh, survey last year that said one in five companies will be making redundancies this year. We're not seeing it. Um, I deal with 77 companies across the UK at the moment and I would say my clients are growing they're not shrinking. They are being cost cost conscious. Mm -hmm. They're absolutely putting the pressure on, can we do anything with costs? What can we do? I don't want to go into the next tier of pricing. How can we manage that? And we're working with our clients. So definitely a cost crunch because they're getting cost increased everywhere. But I would say a good third of our clients are growing Mm. and they anticipate growth this year. So I think the outlook from businesses is this is actually a good year to grow and it's positive. And the costs are being paid for in different ways. They'll be paid for by lower profits and lower investment, maybe. Yes, possibly. Okay, Darren, what's your view and what what are you seeing in your own business? Well, just picking up from what Nikki was just saying there, that it wasn't really too long ago, so about 18 months ago, there was a massive skills shortage. Mm. And I think that's still continuing. And And I think like from... Uh, a company perspective is that they understand how much cost it, it you know it takes to attract really good talent. So then to let it go after like twelve to eighteen months, then you know there may be other options in the business for you know these people. Um, and if you let these people go, it's very difficult to get them back again. Yeah, and we're going back to what Emily was saying that you know the the country as a whole is losing talent. Um, you know we are losing people in digital skills. That's the sector that I'm in, mm-hmm. and particularly technology. So, you know, at the moment, um, the government brought out their AI strategy along with other uh, governments around the world um, over the last two years. Um, and it's very difficult now to get those going because we don't necessarily have the skills, you know, to hand. So we're very reliant on younger people coming through from university or still trying to attract talent from overseas. But it's really difficult, not yeah. to bring the political thing, but with Brexit now to, to try and get people back into um, into the UK that have these skills to enable us to have a competitive advantage. There's a, in, where we are in Tees Valley, we've got some devolution and there's a skills for growth program, which does allow uh, some uh, quite good support on apprenticeships. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it also strikes me that as well as uh, having people uh, with new skills, we've, we as businesses need to help people to reskill. Yes. And, and it is always the case, isn't it, that businesses that are going to be on the cutting edge are going to help people reskill. In my own business, I've been uh, banging the drum about acquiring new skills. I haven't necessarily been handing it on a plate to people. And I had an, an, a more, an older member of my workforce come to me recently to say she's booked on a digital tr- skills training program, evening courses, privately run. And can, can I pay for it? Yes, I can. There's no problem. But she was demonstrating thirst for knowledge, thirst for skills and was looking for it but convincing people in the workplace 
that they have some responsibility to find the skills they need, the employer has some responsibility to pay for the skills they need, yeah. is a, a bit of an uphill task as employers have been used to sort of corporate welfare on it. Yeah. I. I think it's, it's an interesting situation, isn't it? I can see Nikki on the side probably chomping to get in on this one, so I want to take it off. But it is a partnership. It's, it's, you know, it's not just about relying on the employee. It's about the business yeah. as well. Yeah. And you know, businesses have to understand, in order to be relevant for the next like, five, ten years ahead, things are changing technology-wise. They have to see that kind of path ahead, and they have to look out to their pool of talent that they've got now just having an empty checkbook just to buy the talent in may not be an option. Mm-hmm. So upskilling, like you say, your workforce is is very, very clever. And multi-skilling. And multi-skilling. None of us do just one job anymore. Yeah. Everybody has to do two or three jobs. The particular skills that we're getting pe- uh, employees and interest from is things like business analysis, data analysis, um, AI, business intelligence. So this is the next form. A lot of the apprenticeships mm-hmm. that you mentioned has all been kind of centered around like digital skills. And now we're you know, pretty competitive in that sector now compared to most countries. But the next big thing is data analysis. And it's now we've got this data, what do we do with it? How do we understand it? How do we interpret that to make business decisions? And that's a, that's a tough one. And here you are in Teesside levelling up because this yes. is not a, you know, I've been working in Teesside since 1980. Uh, that's what, what, goodness me, it's 43 years this year I've been in the workplace. When I went into the workplace, it was as an industrial apprenticeship and that was that. Yeah. Uh, what you've just been talking about, these jobs didn't exist. I, I know Nikki wants to get in, but Emily's down the line, so let's get her in first. Yeah. What do you think about this whole whole range of things that have been thrown out in that part of the conversation? What's your thoughts on those? Well, I think it's very interesting. I have experience of working in a big corporate PR firm where I worked for the first two years after I graduated. And then I worked for a for an MP, which obviously was a very small office. And then I worked at the Institute of Economic Affairs. And what was very interesting was, particularly during the pandemic, when people wanted to be cost conscious, as Nikki said, um, there were... There was a lot of upskilling, a lot of reskilling, a lot of taking on jobs that you hadn't done before, a lot of training. Mm. It did require a lot of self-start. But as a line manager, I think it's about trying to find what makes your employees or those you manage tick. And, you know, you can give someone something boring to do as long as they have something that they do find engaging and they find fulfilling to do at the same time. Um, And I mean, I myself suddenly found myself editing videos and using Photoshop and all sorts of things that I'd never used before, marketing devices and all data analysis and things like that. So I think if I think it's up to employers and, of course, employees um, to work together to come up with some kind of plan. I was looking online and there's all sorts of new trends of how people are going to be upskilling in the next year, things to do with AI, lots of online learning, of course. What I would say, I do think it is just one thing, is the work from home culture I do think is a little bit of a shame for younger people who don't benefit from the, um, well, uh, you know, the family life benefits. Um, And I personally have always loved working with people who have been uh, older than me. I've 
enjoyed learning from them, you know. Skills cascade down in conversation. Exactly, skills cascade. And you also teach people, you know, (laughs) older people might not know how to use the latest marketing tools in the way you do. And so it works both ways. Mm. So I do think it's a shame if we we lose that in some companies. Now, there are some, we've been talking about marketing, digital and, uh, and analysis and so on that you've been talking about, Emily. But I was at a very big meeting of businesses in the North just last week. I was chairing a panel and there was well over 100 and 150 businesses in the room and there was a fella put his hand up he said uh, to the panel he said look I, I run an electrical business I need electricians I need people who can wire a plug I need people who want to go through the competencies I'll train them I'll give them an apprenticeship but I can't find anyone that does it because mm. no young people want to enter it and the people that are in it uh, are taking early retirement so there's a real skill shortage in some of these practical things and that's where the crunch is and maybe we need to import people. Now, I I can make a case that that is corporate welfare. I can make a case he should be training. And he would probably agree with me, apart from the fact that he doesn't have anyone to train. Emily, any of you yes, on that? Yes, I, I think this is a difficult one because politicians, <laughs> the sticking plaster is just to Im- import people from outside. Yes. And of course, people who were against Brexit, this is one of the the big things that they can point to as one of the failures of Brexit, the end of free movement, which did allow people to come over and take these jobs that otherwise weren't filled. However, we've also seen stats that show there are so many people of working age who are economically inactive. Mm-hmm. I refuse to believe that all of those people cannot work and will not work and won't be able to find something that they can do and can be fulfilled by. So I would like more and more emphasis to be on training people who are already here, people who are going through our school system. If our school system isn't giving people the skills they need, we need to obviously rethink and better our schooling system and so on. But I do think it's a bit of a cop out just to um, just to bring people in from abroad while we have so many people who are economically inactive here already. And um, Nikki, what's your view on this? I would agree with that. I think there's the benefit system needs to be looked at. There's a lot of people on benefits that could work. I know when Michelle Cooper was in here last time, there are economic issues of getting those people to work. But I think we could reform that in the sense of if you're signing on, you have to do something, whether that's reskilling, whether that's getting out there and doing apprenticeships. I think there's a lot that could be done in that area because there are people here. I think there's a mix that could be had. there were so many topics that I could talk forever. I think furlough has made people rethink about what they want and this working from home, I absolutely agree with you. I think it's created a, a culture of people not wanting to come to work. You absolutely hit the nail on the head. My team constantly talk. You know, we were having a conversation about something last week. We couldn't literally log everything that we've had a conversation with our clients. But by being in the office and working together, we pick up on these skills and we pick up on information that you could never read on a system or monitor it or log it. And I just think this homeworking is it's gone to the extreme and we need to bring it back. We need the social interaction. We need the sharing of skills up and down. And I think there's a, a big reform that we could do. And unfortunately, the home working went one way and it allowed people to reassess. Furlough allowed people to reassess to say, actually, I don't need as much money. I don't want to work as long as I used to and I, I can live on less. Hmm. And so that there's lots of things that we just need to try and bring back together and work on because the resource is there. We just need to change people's mindset and we need to get them back into work, working together, multi-skilling. I love the fact that your employee has gone and done that and you're paying. There's a big expectation from 
I, I say younger, I don't want to stereotype, but there is this big expectation that the employer will pay for everything. Everything's yeah. done in work time. And we can't keep doing that and yeah. cutting costs and increasing our Professional costs development means that. My daughter's a doctor. Uh, she's a paediatrician. I wouldn't expect that she would not keep up to speed exactly. with the latest drugs. If you were to go in and you've got a child who is ill, you wouldn't want her not to know it, would you? You have an expectation. I'm going to ch- switch the subject for our last subject. We've gone through a lot today. Um, the IPPR had a report. It was on the front page of some newspapers, um, and it was about the northern economy, and they've got some, uh, some stats that suggest that it has the second lowest level of investment among